The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. And now your host, Tim Penny and the Art of War coaches. Hiya folks and welcome along to The Art of War. This is the OG Art of War, mind you, the father of competitive podcasts in which we are going to talk strategy and tactics with the best players in the game. I'm your host, Steve Joel. I am the king of the mid-tier, the also-ran, the average man. So here to make sure that the show is in great shape is the current sixth-ranked player in the ITC, one of the top finishers in the G-Dub majors this year, winner of the Nova Invitational, lover of Space Marines, be they red or black or grey. This show is jacked up now. Guest host Jack Harpster. How are you doing recovery-wise, Jack, after the uh, after the big event in Austin? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I just had a uh, a stream game yesterday, something like 20 games in two weeks. But uh, I'm feeling good. Glad to be on the podcast and uh, glad to be with you here. Feeling good. Good. 40K for a living can't be too bad. Um, I want to introduce our guest in a second. But first, here's how the show works, if you're new to this. Every week, we're going to talk to a tournament winner or top player about the army they've had success with at a big event. We'll do it in two parts. Part one is the entree, if you like. We're going to break down the list. We're going to see what's in it, how it works, the warlord traits, uh, the relics, the strats, all of that good stuff. Everything that makes the army tick well. It's a lesson in list building, really. Then in part two, this is the main course. This is where we look at the matchups. So whatever army you play, you're going to learn a whole lot in part two. This is where Jack and our guest go head to head. Part two is for subscribers only. So listen, if you like what you hear in part one, you've got to go over to theartofwar40k.com and subscribe for the rest of the show. This week's guest loves a low model count and brings the pain with the biggest boys in the game. Hot on the heels of a great finish at the G-Dub Open in Texas, Brian Jones. Congratulations, man. Thank you, Steve. I'm really excited to be here with you and Jack, uh, despite Jack's constant role, it seems, as my nemesis in, in tournaments. <laughs> You guys have played each other a while. Yeah, we've actually played each other three times uh, in three events that we've been at together. I played into my sisters once at a tournament in Jacksonville, and then uh, twice in my Blood Angels, once at the US Open, once at Crucible. So we've we've played each other 100% of the tournaments that we've been at. This is, uh, yeah, so you guys know each other real well. You guys know uh, what makes each other tick. Uh, look, the first thing, Brian, we have to do is um, we know you play Knights, but take us through the list that you took to the G-Dub Open. I'm interested, I'm really interested in this chat, and audience will obviously be aware of this, but the big balance update, because you finished, I, I want to say, sixth in Orlando, which is pre-update, obviously. You finished in a similar spot in this tournament. So I want to see what differences you felt there are and whether or not they helped. And we'll get to all of that, uh, you know, more specifically later on. But why don't you start by taking us through the nights list that you took to this particular tournament? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it traveled easy. Uh, it took just six models, uh, which was a downgrade for Orlando, where I had seven. Right. Um, but looked at bringing three big knights, um, brought a single Magera, which seems to be heresy. Uh, given the current Meta Knights that existed in. Uh, I also brought along a Knight Preceptor, uh, which for all of you going, that sounds familiar, but I have no idea what that is. Uh, it is the new Knight model that came out in 8th, along after the Dominus Knights, that gives a reroll bubble to Armagers. Uh, I brought the uh, Castellan in an effort to you know really bring back everyone's favorite past meta. And then uh, took along three Armager Morior Axes with Lightning Blocks. Um, so like fit really easily into three little KR boxes and I hit the road, but really packed a punch, I think. Okay. Why don't you take us through there? There, I mean, there are a bunch of questions around how this all works together. One of the things I want to get to later is I'm not sure if you've heard preceptors are no good. So (laughs) (laughs) that was the thinking for a while anyway, but can you talk us through, uh, because we're going to hear these words a lot, Magira and Moirax. What are they, what do they do and why are they in your list? Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> what are they? They're two of the three knight models that really have rules for ninth edition. They're in the uh, index, the compendium index, so they're Forge World models. Uh, the Megara in particular, I think, has been very hard to get as far as finding the model. Uh, it's been in high demand. And the reason it is, is at 480 points, it's 
only slightly costed more than, say, I think a Crusader with the Battle Cannon comes out to like 475. So you're paying five points more. However, now you've got a knight that keeps its invulnerable save in combat without needing a relic, which is huge. Uh, it ignores all benefits of cover, which in 8th edition you went, okay, this could be helpful against some successor chapters and stuff. In ninth, that also means you're ignoring dense cover, that minus one to hit, which particularly going into the GW tournament where there's dense you know, pieces everywhere, it's important. Um, and then furthermore, it just has a great set of profiles um, between its main gun, uh, the lightning cannon, which is strength seven, AP two, and a flat three damage with exploding sixes that I'll never roll. Um, it also has a melee profile that is almost perfectly aligned with the stomps in that it's strength eight, AP two. However, it is a flat three damage. It gets the exact same three hit rolls per attack you use it with, but when you can do that and not roll ones on every single damage like me, and so you wind up with like seven wounds and two dead marines, um, it's it feels a lot better. Um, what about the Moirex? That's another model that lots of people are clamoring now to include in their list. So what does that do? Yeah, so the Moirex is really the answer to, I, I want to run baby knights, but can I run anything other than a Helvern or Warclave? Um, it's got a lot of different weapon options. Uh, it's You can make it melee-y if you want, um, but I go the path of using Lightning Locks. So I think they're a phenomenal weapon profile at Strength 6, AP 2, 1 damage. There's really nothing in the game that you feel bad shooting that at. Um, and so on top of that, 6s to hit count as 2 additional hits on top. So... Frequently, you're rolling each one six shots. So you're rolling 12 dice to start with. And frequently, you're like, all right, I, I had 12 shots and I wound up with like 15 hits. So, sorry. Like, it's, ne it's Necron Tesla, which players loved in eighth edition, however, with AP. Um, so it, it's just a phenomenal weapon profile and it fits a real void in the kind of existing Knights lineup, which is that we don't have a lot of horde clearing firepower. There's just not a lot of high volume shooting that has quality to it and this just plugs that niche into your list perfectly it's a 36 inch range it's on a nice small model it actually lets a knight's player go wait obscuring can help me because armigers benefit from it uh which it, again at going into these gw tournaments was absolutely huge because that can put your opponent on the back foot when they go, wait, I thought knights could never hide from me. I, I don't like this i don't want to jump all over jack here because he's going to have much more high level questions than i have but um if you could take us through also uh, warlord traits and anything else that you've added into this, you know, relics and things that to to buff the army, and maybe take us through how those things work together as well, it'd be great. Yeah, well, I th and I forgive me for not saying starting out wise, the the main thing about this list is it's leveraging the Freeblade Lance Army of Renown from the uh, first uh, Warzone Chardon book. Act uh, what was that Book of Rust? Um, so I, I loved this particular like setup when I saw the army of renown, I was like, Oh, this is cool. Every knight can have their own background. There's really nothing to not to love about free blades. It's where you can go. And if you're, you love the fluff, which is a huge part of why I'm into 40 K you can go, cool. I can take this knight and make it whoever I want. How does that translate into tabletop? So in this army of renown, any knight that's a character gets two free blade qualities, which are the good things. And it only has to take one burden, which is the flip of how free blades worked previously. The trade-off is every single one of your knights has to be a free blade. So there's no household tradition. You know, you're not going to get the house crass, like I'm going to reroll everything in melee. You're not going to have access to house raven and you know being able to advance and shoot every single model. Or uh, Tyrannus is really the other one I would think about, which is you know you get your zombie knights. Who doesn't love having a zombie knight? Um, but instead, you've got everybody with free blade traits. And so you go, okay, let's figure out how I can make as many characters as I want. Um, so that I can pile those on. And, but when you look at it, you go, why, why do I want free blade traits? Are they any good? And the initial question prior to the balance update you, you were talking about was, well, I can get obsec, which as a knight player is, you know, that's the holy grail because it's impossible to find. Um, it lets you put obsec on a lot of different models. And now after this update, giving obsec to all armager class models, as long as it's pure knights, all of a sudden, it opens up a lot of different paths of going, cool, now I can not just have you know four or five OPSEC models. My entire list could be OPSEC, and it is. 
So I that was the ultimate goal after the balance update came out. I immediately kind of jumped back into my list and went, all right, I want everything to be OPSEC. I want to make it very hard for my opponents to to take things away from me, and I want to play the primary, which is, frankly, kind of the opposite approach uh, that Knights had to have previously in this edition. And so it starts out with, uh, we'll go with the, starting out with the Knight Magera, because I think it's, it's the most complicated as far as everything it gets. Um, its two qualities are uh, Peerless Warrior, which is you roll a d6 when you deploy the knight, and it's either going to get, on a one through a three, it's going to get two inches of extra movement, which 14 inches on a big knight is, is pretty nice. Uh, on a four or a five, you get plus one weapon skill. As I said, that thing wants to be in melee. Like, you want to leverage it in all phases of the game. So that's not bad. And then a six gets plus two ballistic skill. Or, sorry, plus one ballistic skill, taking it to a two plus. Uh, which, again, knowing that it's got the lightning cannon, which is a phenomenal profile, is great. Um, the I think the funny thing is, is that I found myself most games hoping that I rolled that extra movement. Um, it's just it, having an extra two inches of movement it's enough to really throw opponents off. So that's why I put it on there is that no, none of those results are bad on a Megara. You just may have a favorite. Um, the other quality that it gets is legendary hero. Oh yeah, I did. And we'll get to how you can sneak that into this list. I did. Um, so that's actually the warlord trait that I put on this night. It's called echoes of the past. And that is the, warlord trait that comes with this army of renown and it allows whatever knight you give it to can benefit from one household tradition so in this instance of the list i chose the house raven relentless advance which gives the magera the ability to advance and shoot um and so you go oh man that's that's actually really good when you're talking about i could have a 14 inch movement like d6 advance and i also made sure to make this knight questor imperialis for those of you who don't know, Questor Imperialis will give a model plus one to advance and plus one to charge. So now I'm going, all right, I could have a 14-inch move. I could have a D6 plus one advance, so a seven-inch advance if, you know, my dice ever roll a six. And then I'm looking at 21 inches my knight can zoom. And then on top of that, full tilt, which is a stratagem available out of the knight's codex for two CP, allows a knight to advance and charge. So all of a sudden, I, I have a knight that is built to zoom across the table if I wanted to with a weapon load that is dangerous and then can follow that up with a charge. It is entirely possible to be in your opponent's deployment zone on their home objective. And so let's think that through. I want to be on their home objective. So how am I going to get OPSEC? So I should probably look at that second quality because we know there's a, a one that gives OPSEC, right? That is not actually what I leveraged with this knight. Instead, I gave it Legendary Hero which offers one free reroll for that knight every battle round. So you're talking five over the course of a game, which is really nice. You can use that reroll on either uh, a charge, hit, wound, damage, or save roll. I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for everybody. You really want to use those for save rolls when you're hit, taking those dark lances that are D3 plus 3 or the Admech uh, Laz cannons that are just flat better at D3 plus 3. Um, Five free rerolls on a big night over the course of a game that you can leverage in clutch situations is huge. Um, but going back to getting it OPSEC, chose to use the Relic to do that. So gave this Megera the Questor Imperialis uh, Relic, which is Banner of Macharius Triumphant. And that is going to give him OPSEC. And it also includes Counts as 10, but with the balance update, he already gets that. I'm really hoping GW might clarify that he now would be counts as 20. That is my like secret dark desire. Um, but I, I don't expect to get that buff. But a, a man can hope. Counts as um, 20 means the objective is yours basically no matter what, right? Who's throwing 20 uh, other obsec bodies on there? Hey, man, that, that new Cadian army of renown with those 30-man white shield uh, conscript squads, that's, that's scary. That's a lot of models coming your way. Um, and a lot to chew through for a Knights player. <coughs> um, but yeah, now now you've got your kind of, this is the knight that I start the list building off of, and I go, okay, I know I've got a knight that can help me in every phase of the game. He can go on the offensive for me. He can be defensive and reactive. Um, and I know I've got a good chance of keeping him alive because I've got an extra reroll in my back pocket for him. Um, and that's that's the kind of jumping off point for the list as far as Warlord trait relics and um, qualities goes. 
Um, the next one I jump to is, is as you said, the night that, that is terrible, that no one should want to take, the night preceptor. Um, I stumbled upon it after uh, my first iteration of this list running two Megaras, and there's the ever-popular three Megaras and Warglaves uh, version of a knight's list as well. Um, and why do you want a preceptor? Well, one, it comes out to about 405 points if you're running the chainsword on it. For those of you at home, that is 75 points cheaper than a Megara, which is nice. It gives you some savings to leverage elsewhere. And two, it is one of the few knights that can give you access to higher than strength seven shooting. Um, it has the Laz Impulsor, uh, which has got two profiles. And you go, okay, what are, you know, so 36 inches, strength six, AP two, D3 damage. So you look at it and you go, well, that's that's a crummier version of the Lightning Cannon on the Megara. You're not selling me on this. All right, well, within 18 inches, it's D6 shots, strength 12, AP 4, D6 damage. That's okay. So you're telling me I got a D6 last cannon. And then on top of that, in Engine War, we got a stratagem, high capacitor charge, to make that just a flat six shots for one CP, which I always look at as I'm just going to pre-spend on the reroll I would have to use. And I'll, I'll get to use my reroll further in the shooting phase now. Um, so having suddenly a six-shot Laz Cannon on a, on a night model gives you a lot more flexibility in how you're reacting to some big bads that are out there. Uh, would love it if it was D3 plus 3, but still, at D6, that's it's just a damage profile that's not ava largely available tonight's outside of, uh, obviously, the thermal gun on uh, a Questorus chassis or a Castellan. And so I found it very, very handy. And then on top of that, he's got that six-inch aura giving rerolls, reroll hit rolls of one to Armagers. And you may remember we were talking about Moiraxes earlier, which do have the Armager keyword. So um, I bring the Preceptor. Uh, mine is actually named Wally after our youngest dog. Uh, he's, he constantly disappoints and frustrates me, just like my dog. Um, I love giving him the relic of sanctuary so that he keeps that five up in combat. He's got a ch the nice big reaper chainsword. He can get in and hold his own in fighting. Uh, and then I sometimes give him a whirler trait looking at either ion bulwark or cunning commander, depending on the list. I did not give him one in this list. Um, instead I gave him, you know, he's a free blade, gave him his two qualities. He's got sworn to a quest, which is what gives him obsec. And he's got that lovely new counts as 10 baked in. And then I gave him Legendary Hero. Again, pocketing that free reroll for a big knight that it's important I keep alive and that ideally the last cannons are going to go at. Um, and so that's how I plug in the, the kind of relic and quality choices for him. Um, for burdens, I will say on all three of the big knights I'm going to talk about, I used Exiled and Shame. And I've got a, you know, Jack, I'm, I'm going to shout out John Lennon here who, who educated me on this. Exile and Shame seems like a bad trait up front. You go, every free blade has to do a leadership test at the beginning, at the start of their command phase, to see if their burdens are going to apply. And you read Exile and Shame, you go, if, if you fail, it can't be affected by a stratagem, including, you know, a CP reroll. And, but it also says for free blades, you have to subtract one from the result of the leadership test. And every time I read that, I went, oh, that's bad. That means I'm going to fail it more often. And John just kind of looked at me when I was talking through my logic with him, and he went, Brian, think Say that again. And I was like, yeah, you subtract one from the leadership test. He goes, yeah, you're making the number smaller. You're less likely to fail. Uh, and when that kind of clicked for me, uh, which I, I will reveal to everyone took mu obviously much too long, uh, it became an immediate plug-in for all three of the big knights because it, it helps guard. That's one more buffer against the uh, you know failing and having your burdens apply at the wrong time. Uh, and I guess I should go back and mention one little secret of that, that banner of the Macharius Triumphant Relic on the Megara. It gives plus one leadership to all Imperium units within six inches. So if you stack all your knights together when you deploy, and as we all know, a knight base is pretty freaking big, suddenly everybody's got another leadership to help pass those burdens tests. Um, uh, jumping in, the last knight I brought, big knight, was the Castellan. I brought back out the Dominus class. Hasn't found a lot of play ever since it got, you know, taken out to the woodshed because of how bad it was during 8th edition to everybody. But I, when I looked at the balance update that GW put out and went, okay, so we see some nerfs to ADMAC. It's going to change up their list. Flyers, obviously, were allowing them to bring a lot more LAS cannons without needing to take uh, the Ballastari walkers. Drukari, we're going to see some changes there. I, I looked at it and went, 
you know, I, I think T8 comes back onto the table. Vehicles come back onto the table for people because not everyone, when they go to build a list, will go, oh, AdMex just going to delete me. So I wanted access to something other than strength seven shooting. Obviously, the preceptor gave me a little bit of that, but I, I felt like I needed more coming into this tournament. The Knight Castellan, as we all know, is excellent at killing other vehicles. So it seems like a natural plug into the list. Um, at let me double check, it's six hundred and thirty-five points. So it is almost a third of my list on its own. Um, actually, no, yeah, just over a third of the list, I guess. No, math is hard. Sorry, um, but. Brought him in and went, all right, how can I really make him shine knowing that I won't have – using this free blade list, he's not going to have access to House Raven, you know, Order of Companions, one of the great evils of 8th edition that j just made the Castellan miserable to play against. Um, so I said, how can I leverage it using this free blade detachment? Um, well, uh, the Army of Renown comes with an additional stratagem in its book called Favored Knight. It costs you 2 CP when you're building your list. But it allows you to take any knight in your list that already has a relic and give it an additional relic. That's um, That lasts for a lot of creations in list building when you're going, all of a sudden I can stack two. Um, so your mind can immediately jump to, well, I could give it Sanctuary, then I know it's got its five up. But what, what really makes the Castellan shine? That Calls Wrath, that upgraded Plasma Decimator relic. You, know, that you always had to make that choice in the past of do I want it to be offensive or do I want to try to keep it alive? Something now I can do both. So found the ability to give it Call's Wrath and then also Armor of the Sainted Ion. Uh, that allows it to have a two-up armor save, and it also gives it the uh, kind of more devastating offensive firepower. Uh, now, I think everyone would kind of go, surprised you go with that, not Sanctuary, but my thought process is it's got 28 wounds, and I really should be keeping it out of combat, and I've got other items in the list to help screen it. So I'd rather have that two-up armor save. There's a lot of AP2 shooting out there right now. And um, spending three of the six CP I start with because of all these extra upgrades I'm paying for in the list building stage to rotate ion shields, that's that's a crippler. Like if somebody forces me to do that turn one, that's going to be a problem. So taking that two-up armor save allows me to really think about how I want to leverage my assets to make sure survival you know, is going to happen for the nights I need it to. Uh, it also forces some interesting target priority decisions for my opponent and how, you know, do they want to split fire and use their AP three and higher guns on the Castellan and maybe use their AP two stuff elsewhere, or are they want to put everything into one? How do they want to, to do that? And anything you can do in the list building stage to make your opponent go, wow, I have to make a hard choice. It's a good thing to do. Um, so was excited to be able to drop those two relics on there. And then for a warlord trait, this was uh, one of the hardest decisions in the list. I, I went, Looked really hard at taking everyone's favorite Ion Bulwark. Just give them that four up invuln all the time against shooting. Um, it's what we saw a lot during uh, 8th edition. Uh, even now, sees uh, play in a lot of other lists because it's just, it's saving UCP. You know that. Um, but when I looked at all the Warlord traits available, um, there's another one that I think shines even more with the Castellan and can't be recreated with command points in game. And that's the uh, from Engine War the uh, Questorus Mechanicus Warlord trait called Eradication. And that gives you an extra D6 on any random shot weapon. So if you're rolling Cole's Wrath, which is normally 2D6 shots, you're rolling 3D6, and you get to pick which dice you want to keep. Um, so what that means for me, and you give you a flash forward to my last game against Sean Naden, that means you'll roll three, three ones for your number of shots on your Cole's Wrath instead of two ones. feels way better. Um, but when you, when you look at the profile of Excel and you go, geez, literally, you know, every gun it has except the melted guns and the siege breaker missile is random shots. So taking anything you can to smooth out that math and make sure that it's not going to whiff on the number of shots at an improper time is huge. And that's ultimately what led me to use that warlord trait versus ion bulwark. So I went, all right, I can rotate the shield if I absolutely have to, but an ineffective Castellan that's alive is going to be less helpful to me than an incredibly effective Castellan that I can buff its defense when I need to. Um, and that's that's what led me down that path. On top of that, for its two qualities, it's, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, it's got Sworn to a Quest, so it's got OBSEC, 
and it's got Legendary Hero. Again, you think about the the heyday of the Castellan in 8th edition when it had that 3-up invuln that it could get. And then you had a CP that you could reroll an important one. Well, now I've got a free reroll on the 4-up invuln or on the 2-up armor save whenever I need it against something that just, it, it's really important that this go away. Um, or, as I leverage frequently, this is a damage roll that is very important for me to max out on. So that's where I landed on the uh, Castellan. Just really buffed it kind of through the roof with getting stacked two relics, a warlord trait, and two qualities on there. Um, and I think that's that's one of the secrets of this free blade Lance Army of Renown is just, you know, you think about that. I, I'm able to target and manipulate like kind of five different buff levers for a model, whereas normally you're stuck at, you know, a warlord trait and a relic, maybe, if you could make something a character. Um, so it just, I, I felt like it opened a lot more doors for me for customization. Um, and then the end of the list is just going to be three Moiraxes, all with double lightning locks. Uh, one is a squadron of two, and then another one is its as its own single model. So it fills out all five slots in my deployment chart. Um, you could reshuffle them if you wanted to, make it one unit of three, but I liked the having five drops to at least force my opponent to kind of show me something before I put down my last model. Um, the Moiraxes, one of them uh, leverages being a character uh, by allocating the, for anybody who remembers, when you're building a knight's list, if it's a pure knight's detachment, you get a uh, knight lance, which you can allocate to a single model to make it a character. So I apply that on one of the Armagers, and then using the heirlooms of the house stratagem, which you can use during list building, but is not required to be used before you select your warlord, I make two other characters, two other knights characters, make one of them my warlord, and then start to allocate out everything. And then I've got four characters on the board, um, which is incredibly helpful because one of my baby knights gets to have two qualities. Um, you've got to allocate out all of the qualities before you can duplicate. So you're, when, if you are looking at the rules and listen to me list off those first three knights, but Brian, that's, that's really illegal. You can't just keep giving the same thing to everything. They put rules in place to, to not let you do that. And that's where the Armagers come into play. They're really there to take the, the bad and the good, as it were. So my character, uh, Armager, has got um, Indomitable for one of its traits, which lets it uh, have plus one wound and plus one leadership. A bell should be going off in your head going, it's another leadership buff. He's, he's stacking a lot of those. Trying to keep those models from having any burdens when, when you absolutely need them to not. Uh, and then it also has Mysterious Guardian, which gives it a six-inch heroic intervention that I tell opponents every time I put that model on the table that I will never use. Or if I do use it, something is very wrong in our game because it's a model that doesn't want to be in combat. Um, and then I have the two others. Um, they each have uh, one of them is last of their line, so which gives reroll hit rolls of one against units with ten or more models. And then the final one has Indomitable again because between now all of the models I've I've used every. Uh, quality. And those last two Armagers are each carrying two two terrible burdens each to allocate out the rest of that list. So that gets me to my full six knights. I've allocated every quality and I've allocated every burden, which lets me put the premium ones that I want on my biggest knights so that they can be most effective. I am really sorry. I just threw so much information at you. But this Freeblade Army of Renown really is uh, a really fun exercise in list building for anybody who enjoys it. And I strongly encourage somebody to take a look and just play around with it and see what you can So many layers. So many, oh man, so many layers to break down. It really sounds like you're building in, like you, you sound like a guy similar to myself who doesn't roll a lot of sixes, who's probably more likely to roll ones, but you've, you've kind of built in some protections against that with, with lots of layers of, of help. Yes. And that's the exploding sixes on the Moirax and the Megara feel amazing. I, like I will share, and my opponents in the tournament uh, can testify, I use all of my sixes on the Moiraxes, and then I get the big gun, and I never get any extra hits, and it breaks my heart. But, huh, what was that, check? Yeah, that's true. Maybe if I had three <laughs> Megaras. But the extra fun part of when people go, the Preceptor is bad, why do I want to reroll ones? Well, when you go, okay, I could reroll those ones into sixes, and then I take a miss and turn it into three more hits, it's... It's a big impact when you take four ones and turn it into like a six, a three, and you know, say two twos, which for my dice, that's what you do every time. Well, you took four misses and got three more hits out of it. And for your opponent, it's a psychological thing. They're just going to go, God, again? Um, and I, I, again, a spoiler for the how GW Austin went, I went against a Chaos opponent that I watched do this to me regularly. 
um, turning those sixes and getting those extra hits, I think that takes the preceptor buff that feels nominally useful uh, in a normal list and, and brings it to, hey, I, I'm deriving value out of this. I'm okay that, that that cost is baked into this model. And those three CP that you have, or the, sorry, the six CP that you have, um, that doesn't feel like a, a little light going into a game, you know, at a top table? Um, no. I it Usually it does not. You have some very... You have a lot of toys that you can play with, some nice-to-haves with stratagems. But as a player, you're going to go into a matchup and know, okay, I'm going to need to use these in the first two turns to assure that I get the impact I want on the game. Because really, a, a game against knights can end up being decided in those first two turns because it's if I can remove the tools you have to take out a big knight before you take away my three big knights, then the game is going to wind up being over. Because if you don't have the tools to remove a now counts as 10 models obsec TA 24 wound model that I can just send over to your deployment zone, it's going to be a rough game. I'm going to disrupt whatever plan you came into it with. So I, I, I will tell you, I didn't rotate Ion Shields on the Castellan once during the entire tournament. Um, that two-up armor save really it, it gave me confidence to, um, to not have to do that. Uh, then I ran into the... Uh, Orc, Waz, Jacob, Waz Bomber. Yeah, there you go. I ran into two of those, uh, and there's a fun story around them. They they curbed my hubris, as it were, around that two-up armor save. Um, but the tools I really found myself using the most were the occasional CP reroll, um, using the advance and charge option for uh, the Magera or for somebody else, turning that D6, LAS cannon into flat six shots. Uh, and then the final stratagem in the um, the Army of Renown. Oh, I guess there are two more, but one of them I never used. Uh, it's called Strength from Exile. So it's going to cost one CP for any knight that is not a Dominus or a Castus chassis. Uh, Castus is that gigantic Forge World 1, uh, the Porphyon, or the six. Yeah, a Castus. Thank you, sir. Um, so for, but for, what are you going to get for that one CP on most of models? You're going to get the ability, as long as you are outside of 12 inches from another free blade model, you're going to get reroll once to hit and reroll once to wound. So you think about how, why is that super useful? Well, when you think about all the different guns on each of those three big knights, very different profiles, but a lot of shots, and they're going to be going at different places on the board. Um, so using it in a key moment when you need a, a knight to hit big, it's important. I used it on the Megara, on the Preceptor, and in one game I paid that 2CP cost to use it on the Castellan because I needed to make sure that I wasn't whiffing that round. Um, and so that those were my primary uses of CP. Um, I will say the other two fun tricks I love using are uh, that Megara, as I mentioned, is Questor Imperialis, which gives you access to either, you can either fight and, or shoot on death, or there's that also, I can make him blow up on a four up, um, which just sometimes feels really good as a spiteful way to punish your opponent for piling in 10 different units to try to kill it in combat. Um, and then finally, the last use of CP is that machine spirit resurgent, which all the Questor Mechanicus models can use in the list, which gets them operating at full profile, even if they're down to one wound. So it's, it's, you're going to use your CP aggressively in turns one and two. Um, but I, I do celebrate at the beginning of every one of my turns when I get that CP, when it becomes my command phase. Because having that rotate ion shields for either combat or the shooting phase for my opponent's next turn is huge. I can't tell you how many times I've had that night blow up in my lines when I've piled all my Space Wolf models in to kill it, and then my buddy Aaron just blows it up, wipes units. It's disgusting. That is correct. Every time I did it, I did not. Every time I was like, it'd be really great if you'd blow up right now, and I haven't had a sit. Boom, there was a six suddenly. So I think I had, I think I had three different explosions, um, but none of them, sadly, like were on purpose by spending CP. I think that fight and shoot on death on a Megara is a mu is much better um, because you go, but you're a bottom profile. But if you're shooting again, you're you're shooting with. Yeah, you might be hitting on fives, but remember, sixes explode with that uh, lightning cannon, and then the rad cleanser, it's got auto hits. So 
you've got two guns that aren't as punished by shooting on that bottom tier as it would be on most other nights. You, you, that's when all the ones and twos come out. When you go, you know, I, I want to try to really shoot with that, and then you whiff. So I think it's the Magair is my only Imperialis, so that I only have one possible model that can tempt me to waste two CP to actually accomplish nothing. I better ask what secondaries uh, you like to take if you if you kind of go into most games having a having because without a codex. It makes it a little bit tougher, you know. You, you, most Knights players I know have a couple they like, and then you stand there at the start of every game going, wait, how many characters do you have? Wait, how many points will I get if I kill enough vehicles? Wait, how many, you know, no prisoners. So do you have a list of secondaries you like to fall back on, or do you just assess it game by game? Uh, I've got I've got a core two that I'm, I'm usually going to go with. Um, you know, Steve, you're 100% correct. For anybody who hasn't played a Knights player before in 9th edition, they have about four secondary options, um, which is a real bummer, but it makes that phase for us really fast. We'll, we'll always have our secondaries ready to go. Um, so I really love Stranglehold on anything um, that's at least five objectives. The couple that are four, I don't think you can take it, but there are some mission secondaries there that you can take that fill that void. Uh, the auto take for me in every single game is grind them down. So that is kill more unit. You kill more units than your opponent does during the turn. I have six models, aka six units. It's it, if I do lose more than you in a turn, the game has already gone very south for me. But it's hard to find a list that's going to have a ton of firepower to knock out multiple targets because most everybody's going to allocate everything to trying to kill one. Whereas it's pretty easy for a knight player to split some fire and pick up a couple of infantry units or core a couple of vehicles, kill something in shooting, charge something else. Um, grind is is usually about a twenty, always a twelve to fifteen pointer for me. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of talk in, in other interviews where knights players just said like getting a hundred is is kind of a pipe dream, but there are options available to get you there. Uh, grind them down is is kind of the first lever you can pull in that one. Stranglehold is a second. Uh, because again, and again, it's only enhanced by this balance update where you can go, hey, everybody I've got is OBSEC. It makes it a lot harder to have that objective sniped out from under you and a lot easier for you to maybe contest something or remove one for your opponent to go, oh, I've got my three and I have more than you. Um, now, engage on all fronts is a, is a good alternative to stranglehold. Uh, I fell many times into the trap of trying to use behind enemy lines. And every time it just never wound up scoring enough points for me because usually if you're in your opponent's deployment zone, they're going to make a lot of effort to kill that knight and it's not going to be there the next turn. So I do like engaging all fronts because you are usually going to have to spread across the table to take objectives. So you're naturally moving towards that, that, um, that secondary. Um, and then the final kind of one that I leverage the most, I would say is assassination um, because Again, with your knight being very, your big knights being very active in both shooting and combat. Uh, for a lot of armies, their answer to T8 or a really murderous model is, oh, I've got to get my my killy character into combat with it. So you're going to have exposure to go after your opponent's characters, or you have the ability to move across the table and get to your opponent's characters. Um, and I, I find assassination has is, is been a viable third fill-in because there there are a handful of lists that only run two or three, but any any list that's got four characters, I go, oh, okay. So if I get them all, I, I max out at 13. That's better than Rod. Um, you know, and that's where you, you also love being spiteful and trying to blow up and just kill the character with your explosion. But don't worry, you'll always roll. If you manage to blow up, you'll always roll one less than the number of wounds they have remaining. Um, I was... I did, and that was yes. The Dante. That was the only way I took down Dante. Um, and then the, the last one, Jack and I. You when you moved to Grey Knights from Blood Angels, I kind of celebrated. Abhor the Witch is an amazing secondary that suddenly gets put on the table against you know you'll. I've gotten to take it against Craft World, and now against Grey Knights and Thousand Sons, you have a ready to plug in third option, which feels really really good. Um, Direct Assault's mission secondary is great. Um, Jack, what is that? Uh, prior, is it priority target? Is that the like free 15 one on battle lot? Yeah. Priority target is a great one. Um, you really do want to take a look at the secondaries and, and see, maybe there might be one to use. I even came close to taking the secondary on vital intelligence, which is an action. However, it doesn't, it's bet. It doesn't say only infantry can do it. So suddenly a knight can do it. And it, 
one model has to take the action, but you get a point for every objective you currently control when you do it. So I, I contemplated, all right, if I've got an armiger that's backfield and I'm hiding behind obscuring terrain and it's not going to be shooting anything anyway, taking that action maybe isn't such a bad thing. Uh, I did not actually end up taking it because my matchup didn't lend itself to it, but I think it for Knights players, that really could be something that's on the table for you uh, when you're hitting that vital intelligence mission and going, ugh, I just don't know what to take as a second. So when I took them to NOLA, um, my matchup did lend itself to it on vital intelligence, and it felt really good to be able to finally do actions with the Knights list, I, let me tell you. Last one that, can, that does come onto the table more often now, again, because this balance update removing Admex, hey, you brought a vehicle, cool, it disappears. As now more vehicles are dropping on the table, suddenly bring them down as an option. And that feels really good combined with grind because you're targeting usually your opponent's units that have the best chance of killing you and removing them from the table and rewarding yourself on two different secondary fronts. Um, or if you're going against another knight's list, potentially three different secondary fronts between grind, assassination potentially, and bring them down. It's so hard. With the assassination one, it's so hard to protect your characters. Sorry, Jake. It's a little bit of a square peg round hole some games, for sure. Um, what about the changes you would make to this list? Now that you've you've had a chance to operate it at a big tournament with a lot of players, you've got a bunch of games in, you did real well with the new uh, balance update. <laughs> I keep wanting to say FAQ. It was a balance update. So um, now that you've had that... It, Looking through the list, are there any things that you would drop, change? Does the preceptor go? Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm really not sure yet. I like how the list played. And I will say, um, my, my first loss was player error, not list error. Um, I, I won't lie. I fall into the trap of going, man, my big error can zoom across the board. So I'm going to do that. And you don't always have to. Um, you know, there's a very big tendency as a nice player to want to be aggressive and I am needing to temper that a little bit. Um, you know, maybe I should be playing chaos Knights cause there's a little bit of core tendency for me, but, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to pull back a little bit there on the aggression. I, I found, let's see. So while I was in Austin, I played, uh, two Drakari lists. I played a Harlequins list. I played gray Knights. Um, now made it to four of my eight games. Hopefully I can remember this. Chaos Knights. Uh, Orcs. Yeah, oh, I played a, uh, an Imperial Knights player and then a Death Watch player who brought a, a friendly knight along. So there we go. Yeah, there are my three three lists that had knights in them. So obviously the Castellan paid dividends there and kind of valid, a little bit of uh, confirmation bias for the Castellan after those three sequential games. Uh, having that, the other Knights player I played was actually the other Freeblade uh, Lance player in the tournament. There were only two of us, and of course we got matched uh, in round four. Um, but it really was when we kind of went, got up to the table, I had a Castellan, his kind of ranged firepower was in a uh, Crusader, and it was like, oh, and then I got first heard, it was like, oof, this, this is going to hurt for you because I can pick up a knight a lot faster than you can at range. Um, the, the biggest thing I would think about is bringing the Castellan gives up a, a fourth Armager, and having that extra 12 lightning lock shots uh, was really handy in tournaments past. But um, right now, I, I can't speak to giving up any one of those single models. I want to I want to get some more tournaments in with it. I think this was my first time playing that variation. I hadn't gotten a chance to practice with it yet. Uh, and I think if I uh, hold my, my own leash a little bit harder with the Megara, that all of those games are, are winnable uh, in that tournament. Coming to the tournament, what did I want to do? And I really went, well, this balance update, I have no idea what the meta is going to be. And I said, I, I got to try to find the closest thing to a take all comers list you can when you only have six models. Um, and I would say in, in each different, every model I brought earned its pay in a different game um, and showed why I should bring it. So I think, at least for now, I'm going to keep it as my, my take-all-comers list. I might tweak some some traits or relics or qualities around a little bit, but so far, you know, I'm on the preceptor train. I'm sorry if nobody else is, but I, <laughs> Wally, I, I'm loyal to my dog. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so maybe you, because Jack, I'm sure you've played into Knights as well um, since the update. Um, so maybe the two of you could discuss, because you'll know way better than me, but just 
what difference you think that balance update is going to make not just to Knights, but the way Knights are in the meta and way the meta is going to deal with Knights now that, you know, you've got all the big guns. And we were discussing this earlier. The way I had to beat Knights before was obsec, more bodies. Like I just stick two, two guys on an objective and suddenly you only have one, so now I take it. That's just not doable anymore for me. So that changes everything for all the other armies. You've got all the big guns. As you say, I've got a way of find a way to bring strength nine guns, but I've only got access to last cannons and they're so swingy. There's just so much here. So maybe you two can have a conversation about what you think is going to happen now. Yeah, and, and I articulated, Jack, I was thinking a little bit of when I think back to when you and I played for the first time um, in that GT in Jacksonville. Um, you were running a sister's list at the time, right? Yeah, um, so that was my first foray into ninth edition. Um, and I actually... I. For everyone who knows me, I'm an Ultramarines boy through and through since 3rd edition. And I, I brought this three-blade army of renown because I went, all right, it's seven models. I can learn how ninth edition works. Um, and I'll have some OPSEC, which I, I hear is important now, and just kind of showed up to, to play. And what I quickly found <coughs> is that this, that was when Admech had just come out. Uh, Drukari was obviously reigning supreme. I know that might sound like I'm talking about today, but this was uh, three or four months ago. Um, I found that no one was really prepared to take on TA chassis holes. And the fact that they were obsec on top of that gave me a hidden advantage. And now I think fast forward to today, it's going to force everyone to really plan for T8. Wouldn't you say, Jack? Because when we played, our game was incredibly close. And, and a big contributor for that was you had kind of disposable five-man sister squads or um, you know, a battle sister squad with obsec or a single battle sister, the dogmata, whatever, to just throw and take an objective away from me. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the crazy part of the change going forward is that since you can't take objectives away from knights anymore that easily, you have to kill them because they're going to be on an objective and they're going to count as ten models or five models for the little squads. And since most squads that you're going to use to take objectives away are either five or 10 man or somewhere in there, you have to kill the knight to actually get the objective away from them. Uh, counting as obsec is one thing, but you'd throw like five troops onto the objective and then you're fine. But since it counts as five, even the small knights, you have to kill them in order to take the objective away from them. And that's a huge change in the dynamic. I mean, having to kill the big knights, that's one thing. They're going to table you if you, don't, if you don't kill them. And that's whatever most armies are are planning on that even if maybe they're not teching for toughness eight at the moment but having to actually kill armagers instead of just tying them up is a huge change in the dynamic and um i think it's going to have a huge shift on the meta going forward yeah i think i, I it's definitely going to open up the meta steve and i think people are going to as jack just said you you now have to go okay i've got to be able to kill it because i can't just throw you know a five person squad on to take it you can tie an armager up and, you know, the five or 10 person squad and, and take an objective from them. But if people are bringing other lists like mine, where you've got counts as 10 obsec big knights, you've got to kill it. Um, and so I think it's going to, it's definitely going to force people to tweak the list going, well, I need to be able to kill it at range probably. Cause what if he's got it on his home objective? Um, and I, I love it in conjunction with the changes to admec, which I felt were more oppressive towards Admech was more oppressive towards vehicles in general than, than Drukari was, although they they still can slice through them now with Thick City. But um, I think it's going to maybe bring vehicles back to the table a little bit. But for nice players, I think honestly this is just an amazing it's an amazing gift and a welcome to Ninth Edition because it lets us play the same game as everyone else. Before it just it definitely felt like we were maybe playing. Eighth edition, I'm just going to try to shoot you off the table, and everyone else was playing ninth. Because before, you know, I think if a if a Drukari player threw a five person rack squad at an objective that I had one of my obsec armagers on, this is pre balance patch. Well, as soon as they touched it, they had it because they were five models and I was one, and then they were just going to charge my armager, try to wrap it so that I couldn't fall back over them because he's not Titanic, and they could sit there on that objective for the entire game. Now. They come, they charge me, well, I count as five, so we've contested it, and suddenly I'm, I need to actively think about the CP could be worth spending on Overwatch, because if I kill one model, the objective remains mine. That's a huge primary swing. 
or the actual previously, which felt wasted, four attacks that an Armager Moirax gets in combat at strength six with no AP. Hey, I just got to get one wound through, take away one model. And that suddenly, you know, that five person minimum troop squad that you have doesn't get to just hold my knight there while you get the objective for the entire game. I feel like we're we're getting dangerously close to now talking about specific matchups. So, guys, I'm wondering, Jack, if unless you've got any other questions about the list or or uh, anything else in in broad terms, maybe we wrap this one up and head into part two. No, I, I think I'm good for now. I think all the interesting questions I have at the moment are about how you'd handle specific matchups, how you would deal with specific problems that are put in front of you and i think that's going to be a very interesting thing to go over yeah we're just we're just starting to squeeze the juice out so let's let's hold it and and we'll do that in in part two so folks uh that's part one done um brian i don't know if there's anything you want to plug before we say goodbye to folks who are not subscribers or anywhere people can get hold of you or channels you want to plug or anything like that um you know i Giving my personal email out probably seems silly, but I, I would say, you know, you guys usually have questions come in for each podcast, right? Right. All right. Well, I, so- I, anything, anything that comes in, I'd be more than happy to take the time to answer. Um, I, I, I answered some questions for, for Gutenheimer as well. I'm always keeping an eye on like the competitive 40K subreddit. Um, I'm always keep an eye out for questions there. But the one thing I just want to say is, you know, for anybody who has got their knights or chaos knights stashed in a, in a closet, Get it out. See see what you think would be fun to build, fun to try out, and give it a shot. I, I think we're, yes, Drukari may need some additional touches, but we are in a great place with the meta where it's opening back up. And as a night player, you, you can really help to find it. So get out there and experiment. See what could be good. If you find ways that I'm wrong and you're way better, let me know. I'm all about it. Great stuff. Brian, thanks so much. So, folks, that's part one done and dusted. And we really are just getting started. If you get this far in and you don't go get part two, it's like only eating the bottom part of a cake and you're missing out on all the icing. So if you haven't already, go over to theartofwar40k.com, sign up so you can get the second half of this chat and all of the other great content as well. So in the second part of this conversation, Jack and Brian are going to cover the tactics and plans against the other armies, the other archetypes. If you want to know how to play knights or you want to know how you're going to be able to beat knights now, which just sounds harder and harder, You've got to tune into part two. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Brian, thank you. Jack, thank you. If you're a subscriber, we'll see you real soon. If not, uh, I'm Steve Joel. Thanks so much for listening. This is The Art of War. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. 